be to God. As far as we can tell, uh, Hyde Park is the only church in Florida that has had two young people who grew up in the congregation who ultimately became bishops of the United Methodist Church. Uh, one was Bishop Lloyd Knox, grew up right a few blocks from here, uh, not only felt his call to ministry here and was a missionary in the church, also came back and served as pastor here before ele being elected a bishop. Uh, Lloyd, unfortunately, is hospitalized in fairly serious condition in, uh, in Alabama at this time. The other was Lawrence McCleskey, as you'll hear in uh, some of what he shares this morning in the sermon, uh, came here as a young 11-year-old and, in fact, in the lobby this morning before the 8.30 service, ran into a fellow member of the Plant High School class of 1958. If there are any other class members here, we want you to be sure and let Lawrence know when, uh, when the service is over. And then he went to Duke University and to Duke Divinity School and fell in love with North Carolina, uh, served in ministry there until he was elected a bishop in the church, and then served the South Carolina, followed by the Western North Carolina conferences. Uh, it is a great joy to welcome Florence back home this morning to uh, preach the word for us. Welcome, Bishop McCleskey. Good to have you here. Thank you, Jim. Let me get right to the point. I've prepared this sermon with two events in mind. First, there's the 115th anniversary of Hyde Park United Methodist Church. Second, there's the upcoming retirement of Jim Harnish. From over 40 years of ministry, the last 22 of them here. Momentous events, both of them. And what a privilege it is to be asked to preach here for this occasion. As I've prepared for today, my mind and my heart have been drawn to this passage from the letter to the Hebrews that was read for us just a moment ago. We didn't read the entire passage. I'll comment on that. It's called a letter. Not really a letter, it's more of a treatise, or as the author says at one point, an exhortation. Don't know who wrote it, anonymous writer, probably scholars think 30 to 40 years or so after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Not written as a letter to a single congregation like so many of Paul's letters, but written more in a general sense to Jews who had converted to Christianity, and the purpose seems to have been to encourage them to hold fast to their newfound faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Now, the writer knew Jewish history. You sense that from what was read for us. This 11th chapter of Hebrews is sometimes called the roll call of the faithful. The verses that we heard named some of those, Abraham and Isaac and, and, and Jacob, and in one quickly noted list, uh, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel. But there are other names 
that weren't read that appear in other verses uh, of this chapter. And if you go and read them all, you will encounter those names, Abel and Enoch and Noah and Sarah and Esau and Joseph and Moses and his parents and Rahab. And then beyond those names, there are references to numerous persons simply called uh, men of old or the prophets or men and women who through their faith did all kinds of courageous and amazing things. They were so strong in their faith, the writer says, that the world was not worthy of them. Such faithful people, the world was not worthy of them. And they're called by this writer a great cloud of witnesses. Now, now when you think about the text from this perspective, you realize that it's a backward-looking text. It looks back. It's looking into history. It's remembering and it's celebrating heroes of the faith who paved the way for those to whom the words were written. But when you read the entire thing and reflect on it, you realize that it's also a forward-looking text. It reminds us that those heroes of the faith who are remembered were people who always were looking ahead to the future. Abraham is remembered as the leader who looked forward to a future he believed in, though he didn't know where it would take him. Faith, we are told, is the assurance of things hoped for. That's the nature of these faithful predecessors who, the writer says, surround us. They look backward, they look forward. And the writer says, because we are surrounded by them, we have a calling. And that calling is, to use the writer's words, to run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter. I'll say more about this word in a little bit. It, it, finisher is another way to translate it. The finisher of our faith. And in those words, this anonymous biblical writer has told us precisely where the church finds itself at any given moment in its history. Where this church finds itself at this moment in its history, celebrating a past of 115 years and anticipating a future under the leadership of a new senior pastor. At any moment in history, this church, any church, finds itself living between memory and expectation. Now, think, think with me about the memory. We've already heard it, March 12, 1899, 30 people in a two-room red schoolhouse over here where the fire station now sits. That was the beginning. And here we are 115 years and four days later, and my, what a parade of the faithful has processed into and out of these and other doors across those years. My family came here in 1951. 
just a couple of months before my 11th birthday. By that time, there had been 20 senior pastors of this congregation, and the 21st had come just a couple of months before we moved to Tampa. In those years, we had Sunday school and worship attendance of somewhere in the 350 to 400 person range. There were Sunday morning and Sunday evening worship services. And we were in one sanctuary for all of that worship. This one, sort of. <laughs> At least that's true as far as the walls and the windows are concerned. Back then, the pulpit was down about where where the first or second row here, where the choir is sitting. And the choir was in this little alcove in front of these windows right here. The windows were the same, same windows today as in 1951 and long before that. The choir sat there and they faced this way. And just beyond the pulpit and the chancel area, there was a little step up and a flat area there that could be shut off by a movable kind of partition. The pews uh, started at that partition. You look this way and then they kind of swept around in a quarter circle, all focused towards the pulpit right here. And up at that end of the building, it wasn't as extensive yet, it's been added to now, but up at that end of the building, there was two stories Beyond the assembly room, there was a balcony and there were Sunday school classes and offices there. I remember those offices well because I had to go into one of them once, uh, not too long after we moved here, and apologize to the preacher for misbehaving in church. <laughs> I remember that well. Probably helped make me, but I didn't think so at the time. The interior of this building has actually been taken down to the ground twice. In 1954 and again in 2003, you saw the video. And each time, however, the walls and the windows remain. So we worship here this morning in the third rendition of this interior, though if you stand out on Platt Street and look at the building, the outside looks virtually the same as it did in 1907. Since 1951, when we came here, there have been eight more senior pastors. And those years encompassed the two longest serving of those. Laurie Ray, who was here for 11 years when we were here, and Jim Harnish, 22 years. Add to those numbers thousands of members across the years, even more worshipers, and easily, I think, easily several thousand, add them all up, Sunday school teachers, youth and scout leaders, committee members, associate pastors, other staff members, United Methodist women, United Methodist men leaders, chairs of the various named differently through the years, governing bodies, board of stewards, administrative board, church councils, 
choir members, building committee members, mission team participants and leaders, and it goes on and on and on. The roll call of the faithful. Across those years, this church has developed a character. Now, it's, all, it's had a few characters, too. <laughs> Probably still have a few. But this church has developed a character over those years. And I share with you my own witness to that character. This is the only local congregation of which I've ever been a member. In the Methodist system, when persons are ordained, our church membership is placed in an annual conference, not a local church. So I was a member of this church as a young person and a young adult until I was ordained and my membership was then placed in the annual conference. But early on, early on, my life was shaped by the character of this church. When I retired in 2008, on my last Sunday to preside over the closing worship service of the Western North Carolina Annual Conference, held at Lake Junaluska, North Carolina. I had the choir that Sunday. Uh, it was a mixed choir from the last two congrega congregations where I had been pastor. They came together, and I asked them to sing an anthem that I learned here at Hyde Park when I was in high school singing in the choir. The music was composed by Jane Marshall in the early 1950s, the text is translated from an anonymous 17th century Latin poem. Some of the lines are these. My God, I love thee. Not because I hope for heaven thereby, nor yet because who love thee not must die eternally, why then, why, O blessed Jesus Christ, should I not love thee well? Not for the hope of winning heaven or of escaping hell. Not with the hope of gaining aught. Not seeking a reward. But as thyself hast loved me, O ever-loving Lord, even so I love thee. And in thy praise will sing solely, solely because thou art my God and my eternal King. What marvelous theology. That being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not something we do in order to earn God's love, but something we do in gratitude for God's already freely given love in Jesus Christ. That theology informed my preaching for 45 years of active ministry, and I learned it here when I was about 13 years old. For as long as I have known it, this has been a church that will not be led down a narrow-minded, self-focused, turned-inward path. It's been a church of broad-mindedness, welcoming a diverse constituency, focused on the hurts and the needs of the world beyond its doors, a church with an outward-turned identity. It's in the DNA of this place. 
The other has been tried more than once, and it has always failed because the character of this church has continuously grown out of the fullness of the gospel, not some minuscule substitute. That's why I once described this church in a message to Jim as a place where love has been the norm rather than the exception, and a place where I learned that faith can not only withstand, but even be strengthened by thoughtful reflection. In this place, I learned over half a century ago the joy of giving. I witnessed a, a commitment to welcome and justice for all people. I was encouraged to care for the weak and the marginalized and the powerless in Tampa and across the world. I was motivated to develop a thoughtful faith, and I received a call to that kind of ministry. That's my memory. That's my memory. Now, to the expectation. The writer to Hebrews put it this way, let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. And in those words, he reminds us that memory alone is never enough for the people of God. It's important that the writer didn't just talk about one faithful person. He talked about a whole history of faithful people. It's as if he's saying that every moment in time when we remember and celebrate someone who has led us in the past, we need to be reminded that there are others who came after that one in a succession of faithful persons, one after another, in a succession of faith-filled experiences, one after another. There's always another chapter. Oh, God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. I saw the roof come off, and I saw the inner walls come down, and I saw the floor removed until there was nothing left inside these brick walls but Florida sand. <laughs> and then the newly renovated sanctuary took place. That was 1954. Then it happened again. And some of you who didn't see it the first time saw it a decade ago. Some of you didn't see it either time. And the only worship space you know here is the one we're in this morning. And the point is simply this. At every instance where the present, the now, the present, this congregation has known became a memory. At every instance where the present became a memory, there's always been a new expectation. The hymn of promise has it right. From the past will come the future. What it holds? A mystery. Unrevealed until its season. Something God alone can see. And though no one of us knows what the future holds, there are some 
clues that can shape your expectation. I watched a couple of days ago in my study at home uh, from your website the wonderful YouTube video of Justin LaRosa introducing your new downtown initiative. And then I looked further on the website and found the frequently asked questions about the downtown initiative. And yesterday afternoon, uh, Jim and I went to that property and I saw uh, what is different from the way it was when I was growing up here. And I have seen as I have looked at all of that, a marvelous clue about your expectation. This is taking you back across the river to the geography you originally came from in 1899. If you haven't done so, go to your website and look at all of that. It's really worth a few minutes to look at all of it and pray about how you can be involved in the support of that ministry. The downtown initiative is tangible proof that you are running with perseverance the race that is set before you, looking to Jesus and striving to expand the ways and the places that you'll make his love real in the years ahead. That's precisely who this church has been all along. One of the great theologians of the 20th century was Reinhold Niebuhr. Over a half century, he wrote, over a half century ago, he wrote, nothing worth doing is completed in our lifetime. Therefore, we are saved by hope. Nothing worth doing is completed in our lifetime. Therefore, we are saved by hope. Each one of us is part of an ongoing stream of humanity, each making our own contributions to the continuing life of the world, but none of us None of us making the final contribution to goodness, truth, beauty, peace, justice, or righteousness. None of us. The writer of Hebrews concludes his roll call of the faithful by saying, All these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better, so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Now, the Greek word is teleos, and it really means finished, complete, all done, perfect in the sense that Methodism's founder, Wesley, talked about perfection, finished. Think about it. The lives of the faithful ones before us will not be complete apart from us. And that means, by extension, that our lives, our work, our ministry will not be complete, final, finished, apart from those who follow us. They're the ones who complete our work. At any moment in time, we live between memory and expectation. Nothing worth doing is completed in our lifetime. Therefore, we are saved by hope. So, you can live through another transition in pastoral leadership in this church. It'll only be the 30th, <laughs> the 30th transition in 115 years. I know it will be difficult. It'll be a challenge. 
It will be a huge change. I expect that for some of you it is virtually unimaginable. But believe me, you can face it. You can live through it. You can do it with confident faith. They've done it here 29 times before. And look at you today. Others before you have done it. And I would tell you more about them if there were time. But as with the writer to the Hebrews, time would fail me. Time would fail me to tell of Charles Ball and Rosa Braswell and Mrs. A.C. Clewis and T.C. Folsom and Frank Jackson and Mary Keller and Julia Hanks and I.W. Phillips and Leslie June Weller and L.J. Cooper and W.J. Carpenter and John Trice. Time would fail me to tell of C.B. Galloway and Mabel Hanks and Anton Gramling and Ida Mae Pogue and Duval Smith. Time would fail me to tell of Hoyt Woodbury and Dick Cluis and Bob Hill and Grady Lester and L.E. Swats and Dan Stowe and Maynard Ramsey and Woody Lamb and Dr. Bob Livingston. Time would fail me to tell of Dr. W.B. Hopkins and Mrs. Glyde Steele and Arthur Brown and Kathleen Gerald and Mary Louise Lake. Time would fail me to tell of Jack Trussler and Bertha Oppenheimer and Virginia Jamerson and William Harrelson and Edith Hall and Blanche McGrew and Viola Fleming. Time would fail me to tell of Laurie Ray and Harold Buell and Caxton Doggan and Kenneth Rogers and Lloyd Knox and Billy Pickett and Richard Rohrer and Brad Densmore and Mac Meredith and Mario Alfonso and Walter Pearson and Bill Matthews and Dick Martin and Bernie Leaving and time would certainly fail me to tell of Jim Harnish. There's nobody here who knew every one of those people I named. <laughs> Few of you probably knew about half of them. A larger of, uh, number of you knew a few of them. I knew many of them, but some of them I know only by reading the church history and looking at the windows. <laughs> but none of us has known them all, and that's the point. They represent charter members, members of the first building committee, the bishop who presided over the Florida annual conference that met in the sanctuary, newly completed in 1907. Couples married here, chairs of the church's governing body, Sunday school teachers, lay leaders, church staff, pastors, associate pastors, and that only begins the list of the faithful. They represent numerous present moments in time. From the beginning of this congregation, 115 years ago, up until today, and for each one of them, their present moment always existed between memory and expectation. On that March Sunday in 1899 in the little red schoolhouse over on the corner, as you heard, they sang, I love to tell the story. That's memory. Today, a little earlier in this service, we sang, I love to tell the story. That's present. Here's my expectation. That 50 or 100 or 115 years from now, in a congregation gathered on this site, 
in a shape and a setting that today we cannot know. And after numerous transitions that today we cannot imagine, that in such a congregation a preacher will say that time would fail her or him to tell of us and others. But time will allow a celebration of this vast roll call of the faithful who will have continued the joyful witness of making God's love real in Hyde Park and in downtown Tampa and in Florida and around the world. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.